Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Alberta Association of Optometrists, proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. It happens. Many people don't call their optometrist first for urgent eye care when they need it. From spring cleaning mishaps to winter eye infections, if you or your family have an eye emergency, doctors of optometry are trained to diagnose, treat, and prescribe medications, no referral necessary. And just a reminder, Alberta health coverage is available toward your urgent eye care appointment. To find an optometrist in your area, visit optometrists.ab.ca. Another episode of The Read Along, another opportunity for us to either talk about COVID or the weather. <laughs> Seems to be the other thing that this podcast is about. Well, unless you want me to explain my silly gloves uh, they that no one can see. They can't see your silly gloves. I know. I'm wearing, I'm wearing chenille gloves right now because my, my skin is very dry. My hands are very, very dry right now from all the hand washing and cold weather, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I have an old, old nervous habit left over from when I was a kid of uh, not so much chewing my nails, but picking and chewing at my hangnails. And it's bad and it's horrible and I should not do it, but it's very much a nervous habit and I don't think about it. And sometimes I will pick at them to the point where I've made myself sore. So today I'm treating myself like a tiny child who can't control herself because I can't seem to. I've put on aloe vera and lotion and my fancy chenille gloves because I need to keep my fingers out of my mouth. I just can't seem to do it today. I don't know what's wrong with me. So I'm sitting here in my very soft chenille gloves recording a podcast and I probably look very silly and it's okay. But the good news is... People can't see you on a podcast. I know. And would never have known. Had so you you're just going it. to have to picture how silly I look. In your baby blue gloves. <laughs> uh, they might. It might be a green, like a pastel green color. Like a really, really, really pale teal. It could be the lighting. It could be the lighting. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also wearing a maroon shirt, so they don't match at all. Not even a little. Yeah. Although I, I could pull off like a Mickey Mouse thing, I guess, with my very Very Looney Tunes, yes. Yeah. Sorry, we're here to talk about a book? <laughs> yes, we are. So uh, I guess the first thing to do then would be to do a brief recap of our previous chapter, in which Jebby wakes up in a jail cell and gets pointedly questioned about what exactly <laughs> they thought they were doing when they tried to steal a dragon. And uh, because they're not willing to divulge much in the way of information, they end up getting beat up pretty bad and finally find out the truth of why they were hired which is as insurance against Bongsunga, not the other way around. And that leads us into chapter 13 of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. The chapter begins with Jebby kind of languishing in prison for some time. Well, having just been beat tortured. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they they actually think back to something that I had mentioned last chapter, uh, which is that they're pretty sure they're not permanently broken because the people who beat them up know how to injure you badly without actually 
permanently yeah, without injuring you. Breaking anything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They they're pros and they're not trying to kill Jebby. Yeah, these two were professional punchers. Yes. Yeah. Jebby actually kind of alternates for the first little bit through a couple different thoughts. And the first one is lamenting the circumstances that led them to where they are right now. Look, like every decision that led to them being beaten up in prison <laughs> in the custody of the Ministry of Armor gets scrutinized at this point. Yeah. Well, and it's perfectly understandable, right? Being beaten and alone, <laughs> right? So they're recovering. There's no one in their mind except Arazi. It makes sense. You're going to look at all of your life choices that led you up to this miserable low. Yeah, there's there's definitely a couple forks in the road where Jebby's like, oh, if I had just done this, if I had just done this, if I hadn't done this, I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, but everybody does that. Yeah. Jebby also has two conflicting desires during this first part of the chapter as well. One is that Bongsungo will sweep in and save them. And the other is that Bongsungo will definitely not sweep in and save them because that would surely be suicide. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Bongsungo is clearly smarter than that. I would hope so. And Jebby even admits that this is this is fanciful thinking and gets to the point where they're like, well, if I'm just dreaming for the moon, mm. I wish I had a hot meal and a shower and a Cadillac convertible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, since we're planting wishes here. Starting to get bored and with time passing and once again, having completely lost track of how much time is going on. Jebby, partly due to uh, the onset of new fever, partly due to boredom, and partly due to spite, is like, well, I'm just going to do some art right here. Hence the title of my notes this week, Artists Gonna Art. And, like, makes some mud out of some dirt that they scrape up from the corner of the cell and, like, paints a big moon on the wall. Yeah, uses their water ration Actually, to they, create they more use mud. Spit well, they for, start with first. spit. Yeah. yeah, they start with spit and make a little drawing, and then they're like, "Oh, well, this is art, and now I feel better." So they start yeah. like, using their water ration and like gathering up all the dirt they can from their cells. It it becomes a sort of therapeutic thing. Yeah, and it's Jebby falling, having, I suppose, in many ways, the luxury of having a skill that they can fall back to in this dire circumstance to bring them a little bit of comfort. Mm -hmm. And at first they even think, like, no one's really going to see and appreciate this because probably I'll, I'll just be forgotten in this oubliette until the until I pass <laughs> away. And Arazi kind of pipes up, well, I can see it and I can appreciate it. Make an art for me. And Jebby's like, that actually makes me feel kind of good. I will have a captive audience of one. <laughs> I, I found it surprisingly profound isn't quite the right word, but it's the one that came to mind. Arazi says, paint for me. And suddenly Jebby throws themselves into it with such uh, like a dedication and passion for art that no one else is going to see that is in a completely different medium than they're used to working with, but it's an art and they are going to make it. Jebby's kind of hit rock bottom here and Arazi gives them a sense of like purpose for a moment again. And I can see why Jebby would glom onto that and would like throw all of their artistic passion into it because as far as Jebby knows, this is the last thing they're going to do. So why not go out spectacularly? Right? Yeah. Doing doing my best using the materials I have on hand. They like plot out a whole triptych using all three of the walls. They scratch out some concept art. Oh yeah. They they start 
as you say, hoarding rations of water so that they can make more mud. And they create this panorama of like, because they're like, well, I've already drawn the moon. I have to keep the moon. I can't yeah. just erase that. Can't just erase the moon. That's so, a waste of mud. So it becomes this whole skyscape with like a, uh, a dragon like Arazi kind of like escaping to the moon to live its free life and whatnot. It's, it, it turns into this kind of like beautiful thing. Yeah, it was a very elaborate thing. In the cinema of my mind, it was fantastical. It was this montage of Jebby working in... Uh, monochrome, obviously, right? Because it's all mud. But it was being filled in with the colors of Jebby's imagination. Okay, yeah. Right? So if I were if I were to film this scene, unfortunately, there would be a lot of, like, CG to it. But I'd want to make it really beautiful. I'd want to show what Jebby was actually doing in mud, right? So it's clearly just, you know, black and white. But then you flood it with all the colors that Jebby thinks that they're drawing, mm-hmm. right? All the colors that they see, and it turns into this beautiful, colorful mural on this cell wall, almost like this beautiful escapism. And and because, of course, Jebby's dealing with a fever while they're doing this, it's almost like uh, like like an enlightenment. Like Jebby has reached nirvana <laughs> <laughs> and, has, and has created this great work. Question for you. How long do you think this takes? Uh, the montage or the actual painting? The painting. <sighs> I, I would guess that Jebby probably worked on it for several hours, possibly days. My feeling is days. Yeah. Like it takes some time to actually like platen out and then start painting and then get more water. The, get more yeah. water. Yeah. Like my feeling is that this is not something that Jebby just slap dashes up in no, an no, afternoon. No, no, no. Like I said, hours, possibly days. Yeah. Hours at least. At least. The uh, the feverish artistic impulse is finally broken. The spell breaks when someone who's not an automata dropping off food uh, <laughs> turns up in the cell and starts actually talking to Jebby. And it's Vey has finally shown up and is like, just what do you think you're doing exactly? I really appreciate that Jebby is still fever dreamy enough that they don't quite believe that Vey is behind them. It's like, no, no, it's just Vey's voice in my head. I need to keep going. This can't be real. Yeah, and Vey's like, okay, you can give me the silent treatment and ignore me, but that's going to make getting you out of here a little harder. The thing that makes Jebby go, oh, this might be real, is when they hear the cell door open. Yeah. But that's when they decide to do a very foolish thing and take out their frustration and anger by leaping at and attacking Vey. All right, so this beaten person... Who is in a fever? A, in a, again, in a fever, in a very weakened state. I don't know. Dives into a dwindled pool of adrenaline. I don't. I don't know. I don't know where. Look, I don't know what they thought they were going to accomplish. Jebby feels hurt and betrayed, and is not in their right mind. Jebby feels betrayed, and so leaps at Vey, who, of course, a practiced duelist at the height of their skill, and not having been beaten and starved. They, just sidesteps casually. They probably had time to roll her eyes and slowly like, like list to one side to avoid this quote unquote attack. And Jebby just kind of like face plants <laughs> right? in the hallway. Um, <laughs> Vey hauls Jebby up and is like, look, I can just like knock you out and throw you over my shoulder if that will make things go smoother, but I'd prefer not to. <laughs> This is where, like, this is already the first bombshell. Vey has shown up to get Jebby out of the prison. Yes. The second bombshell comes when Vey's like, okay, 
I don't have a lot of time to explain. So here's the fast version. The fast version is, I have been working to sabotage this program for some time. I was working with the semi to sabotage the program, but Hafandon got suspicious and did the test. That got a semi killed. He's been suspicious of me, which is why I've had to be so scrupulous and keep my nose clean. But we have an opportunity, and I'm breaking you and the dragon out right now. But we have to go. Well, that's not quite how it went. No, it was, that's, I'm that's breaking, a paraphrase. Yeah, I'm breaking you out, and Jebby's like, well, we have to take the dragon. Oh, it Vey kind of implies that that was the plan all along. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's not the implication I got. Okay. That Vey was like, well, all right, well, we'll have to take the dragon with us then. And off they go. And I could be mistaken too, uh, but that that was the way that I read it. Uh, the point is, they're getting out. Jebby's a little skeptical at first, like, wait, 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 wait. I thought you were, like, loyal to the ministry and to Hafandin. You're, like, a Razani duelist. Vey kind of, like, bristles at this and is like, listen, I am half Razani, and I have opinions (laughs) (laughs) about what's going on here, and I don't necessarily agree with it. But I can't just go about killing Hafandin, which would be super easy. Yeah, because. That gets me dead and doesn't actually get the movement anywhere. Yeah, because the minister, who's all the way back at the capital, just assigns a new deputy minister and the program continues. Yeah, and nothing changes. Exactly. I needed to pick my moment, and this is the moment, so let's go already. (laughs) Jebby's still a little skeptical, but it's actually Arazi who's like, actually, she's kind of making a lot of sense right now. Yeah. Assuming you believe her, this tracks. Yeah. And and Arazi, at least, believes that Vey is being sincere. Yeah. I kind of do, too. And the reason I say that is because if this was a good cop play, and we had posited maybe Vey might try to good cop Jebby this chapter. Yeah. If Hafandon was bad cop. The way this chapter ends doesn't track with trying to good cop Jebby. If Vey was just trying to get Jebby to divulge information to her, like, this was the moment to do it. Not after trussing Jebby up and marching them to Hafandon. Yeah. Like, well, spoil, spoiler alert for the end of the chapter. To be fair, That's... they get marched. Well, let's let's finish it up, okay. right? So we'll, we'll, cu- we'll put a pin in this. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a pin back. in this. So Jebby gets trussed up all prisoner-like. Yeah, it's, it's the Chewbacca ploy. Yeah. <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> you, you get your prisoner loosely bound up, but in a convincing fashion, and you march them at weapon point. Yeah. Uh, and nobody's going to question it because it looks like a prisoner being marched at weapon point. Yeah. And Vey even admits, like, this is super impractical, but it will make for good theater. Yeah, it'll look good. And I don't think the guards will look sideways at us. Because I'm the duelist prime. Yeah. And I'm abusing my authority. Who's going to question that? Exactly. Yeah. So really, pretty good plan, all things considered. Yeah, the only thing that could possibly go wrong is if they march right into the hands of Hafandon. Which they do. Which they promptly do. They get <laughs> to the dragon hangar and Hafandon is there. Standing there. And then end of chapter. Yeah. Cliffhanger. Yep. Cliffhanger right so, at the end. So obviously there is, there is some question left by that cliffhanger of, oh, was this a trap? Was they purposefully leading Jebby to the situation? And I don't think that's the case. I think Jebby was being told the truth by Vey. And I think that Hafandin is just suspicious enough of Vey that he realized something was going on. And the reason I say that is because if this was a ploy to get Jebby to give something up, the point where Vey had won Jebby's trust earlier when she had gotten Jebby out of the cell, that was the time to get that information. Yes. Marching them to Hafandin is just going to clam Jebby up. So that was terrible strategy if that was the case. The other reason why it rings true to me, Vey's story, is because a lot of it makes sense with stuff we already know. Like, Vey keeps talking about how 
she and Asemi were pretty tight. So it tracks that they were working together to sabotage the program. Yes. The fact that they didn't seem too surprised when Jebby was like, oh, I figured out how Asemi sabotaged the dragon. Well, because they knew how Asemi had sabotaged the dragon because they was in on it. Mm-hmm. That also tracks. Like there's there's little clues from previous chapters that now make a little more sense. Yeah. And Jebby even straight up asks Vey, like, well, why are you telling me this now? Why didn't you tell me this earlier? And Vey rightly says, well, I didn't know where your loyalties lied up until I knew exactly where your loyalties lied. But unfortunately, Hefandon was standing right next to me. So yeah. there's not much I could do about that. Nope. Going back to the earlier problem of you can't just kill Hefandon and fix the problem, right? Yeah. So this is where we're at right now. Yeah. So we know that they march right into Hafanda's face, yeah. basically, in the in the hangar. But this is why I think, follow me on this, this is why I think Vey is a good guy and not just good copping Jebby. So Hafandon was already there, and Arazi didn't say anything. Yeah, that is a question mark. Because if Arazi was aware that Hafandon had walked into the dragon hangar, you'd think... Arazi would have said something to warn Jebby. Right? Which to me implies that Arazi has been disabled. Probably. So marching Jebby into that, like that seems like a really bad trap. Yeah, but they, <laughs> Otherwise... they wouldn't know that Arazi and Jebby can talk. Exactly. There's perhaps even the implication that Hefandon doesn't as well. But I will say it is odd that Arazi says nothing between the point where it says, I'll be ready for you this time when you show up. Mm-hmm. And when they arrive and Hefandon is standing there. And the fact that there is no warning, to me, strongly implies that Arazi was subdued. Yes. And probably it's because Hefandon was like, oh, they who I'm suspicious of is making her move. She's going to spring the artist. They're going to try to steal the dragon again. So I'm going to go and turn off the dragon because it's real hard to steal a lump of metal. Yep, especially um, one that size, Yeah, right? a giant lump of metal. So my guess is Hefandon and some automata and some guards went into the dragon hangar, pulled off Arazi's mask, and Arazi is currently inert. And that's why Arazi could not give a warning because we already previously have established that you can just turn off the dragon if you pull off the mask. Yeah, and disassemble it and move it and reassemble it and reanimate it. Yeah. Right? We know so, this. So that is my speculation of what has happened and why there was no warning. Because otherwise, again, you'd think there'd be a warning. Yeah, you'd think he would have said something. Or or Arazi would be like, oh, hey, Vey is leading you into a trap. Or, oh, hey, Hafandon just walked in. Maybe y'all should take a, a different route. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Although, whether or not Vey is in on it is kind of immaterial to this point. The second someone came into the hangar... Shouldn't Arazi had said something? Arazi doesn't necessarily have 360 degree vision. Fair enough. And someone could have, have snuck senses. up on the dragon. Uh. Uh, number two, there <laughs> might be people moving in and out of the hangar fairly regularly, and Arazi's preoccupied on getting itself ready to get sprung. Might not have been paying attention to okay, some enough. automata walking up to it. Number three, Arazi might have been distracted by a brief struggle and therefore not thought to send a message to Jebby. It's hard to say. It's, it's, okay, it is justifiable. You're right. I think I'm operating under the impression that Arazi is alone the vast majority of the time. That the guards aren't inside, right? That there aren't people coming through the hangar. No, that's actually explicitly not the case. Um, there is a circle around Arazi to hedge people out so that nobody gets injured by the dragon. 
But other than that, it's expressly mentioned there are people in the Dragon Hangar fairly frequently. And when Jebby goes to spring Arazi the first time, they explicitly tell the guards inside, go wait outside. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So I'm operating under false notions. Now, I will posit a possible second scenario. If Arazi's mask has not been taken off, Arazi might be playing possum. Oh, maybe. Just clamming up and keeping low key because the wheels are turning literally in Arazi's head. And it's formulated a plan to maybe get Hefanden out of the way when they show up. Oh, that would be an exciting start to our next chapter. If Hefanden thinks he's won, he's got the master stroke, he's caught Vade, and then the, his the chief like, collaborator, and then the, the dragon. <laughs> oh, I doubt the dragon would chomp him, but well, definitely subdue him. Remember, yeah. Arazi is a pacifist. That's true. That's but true. that doesn't mean Arazi might not clobber him. <laughs> a pacifist might still take action. It's true. <laughs> right? in, in dire circumstances, might uh, a creature that does not want to be turned into a weapon of war might still defend itself. Yes, exactly. So, yes, uh, it, it would be interesting if Hefanden believes that he's uh, caught all of the conspiracy all at once, and then the dragon is just like, womp. <laughs> <laughs> Dragon's like, no, no, and like picks him up and like hangs him on the wall or Throws something. him away. <laughs> yeah. Just puts him, puts him underneath like a heavy box or something. I don't know. I don't know so, why they would keep a heavy box in a dragon hanger. Yeah. So that could be an, uh, a second possibility. Yeah, could be. Obviously, the the more complicating and more terrifying prospect is Arazi's mask was removed. Yeah. And now we need to not only get out of the circumstance with a fandom, we need to put the, the mask back on the dragon. But uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Okay, so I have two more things to say about this chapter before we leave it behind. Sure. One, I really liked the reveal that Vey was a good guy, and I hope that it's true. Okay. I hope that Vey isn't just playing Jebby, because... I like the idea that Jebby has finally earned themselves an ally. Well, eh, yes. Uh, my guess is that Jebby's knee-jerk reaction is that this was all a trick. But again, if it was all a trick, they had a better opportunity to get information out of Jebby earlier yeah, exactly. than now. Exactly. So, like, it, it doesn't track as a very good plan if the plan was to give Jebby a hope spot and then take it away. No, you get the information while the hope is there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, I really hope that it's not some weird... Triple cross. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I hope there's not a weird triple cross. I like the idea that Vey is actually a good guy. That that gives me a little bit of hope. Because every time Jebby gets ahead, they get knocked back. Like, really far. It's one step forward, two steps back. The right? other Well, the other reason I'm going to posit that that's not the case is because, narratively speaking... From, from just a story construction point of view, it would be really frustrating as a reader to have Jebby try to escape with the dragon and fail, and then try to escape with the dragon and fail. Right. It makes more sense that this second attempt, while more complicated now, because again, they've been caught out again, mm -hmm. does actually succeed this time. The question, the, it's the James Bond tension now, though. It's not, will they succeed? It's, how do they succeed? How do they succeed? Yeah. They're, oh, all these odds the, are stacked against them. Therein lies the 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 tension. It's not, it, there's no question James Bond is going to win. The question is, how is he going to win? How is he going to win? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and the second thing I want to I want to bring up is, obviously, because there is a healthy portion of books still left. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Vey and Bonsunga are going to meet face-to-face at some point. And that's going to be a further complication. Oh, it sure is. 
It's going to be great. Well, and Bongsunga is going to be faced with the very real conundrum of this is the person who killed my wife, but also the person who just saved my sibling. How do you resolve that? Yeah. I am perplexed. Yes. Also, you and I are actually on the same side against this this government. Against this greater threat. Yeah. yeah. So the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? No. Maybe? That's, that's Probably very, not. That's often dangerous thinking. I know. So I'm super curious to see how that's going to pan out. Yeah. If it does. And I hope it does. Because it's going to be... Awkward and dramatic, and oh. probably a very good read. Unless Vade dies in the next chapter. Oh, I hope not. Oh, she just turned into a good guy. Just, I don't want to kill her now. Just putting that out there. Why would you say that? Oh. Okay, I don't actually have any predictions about how the next chapter is going to start. I really hope that it starts with Arazi just picking up Hafandon. And throwing him away. <laughs> throwing him away. <laughs> or, you know, hanging him up on a wall, or... I don't know, pinning him to the floor or something. I, I do appreciate that we're coming up with non-lethal actions that Arazi could take pacifist in keeping dragon. with his pacifism. Pacifist yes. dragon. Uh, sorry, I I occasionally slip and say him for Arazi. Uh, the book does not really gender Arazi. It frequently refers to it as it, and I've been trying to do that. Uh, but it is very kind of male-coded in a way. It and feels so, male-coded to And me. so Anita and I have both been referring to Arazi as him on on a number of occasions. But as, as I recall from the book, the book goes out of its way to call Arazi it. The problem is, with me anyway, maybe it's something I need to get over, uh, it feels impersonal and cold. Well, Arazi is also a, a machine. Yes, but Arazi is a conscious thinking machine that mm. has opinions and, I dare say, feelings. The um, calling something it when it has been so personified feels uh, borderline insulting. Uh, the book also does go out of its way to call Arazi Arazi because Arazi does have, as you say, uh, a character and and thoughts and feelings. But uh, gender plays such a role in this in this book, and that makes sense because of who the author is. Yes. That I occasionally catch myself misgendering Arazi because Arazi is explicitly non-gendered in the book. Yeah. And so I, ju- I want to underscore that here. Nita and I do occasionally slip up, but I have been trying to call Arazi it, much in the same way that we've been referring to Jebby as they this yeah. whole time, because that is their pronouns. Look, Arazi has never stated any pronouns. Well, and maybe Arazi <laughs> so, will at some point, and then maybe. Jebby, in Jebby's narration, will start referring to it as he or her or whatever. But for okay. now... Or they, but for now, Arazi is is called it in the book, and we're we're trying real hard, and it's because it is a very unusual pronoun. Yes. So, I hadn't even noticed that until you brought it up. I will also start trying. I am mentioning it now because that's part of the analysis of the book. So. Yes, indeed. But uh, with that said, uh, we'll we'll finish up chapter thirteen there. I think uh, we'll want to read up on chapter fourteen in time for next week, and hopefully. Find out how Jebby and Vay get out of this predicament. <laughs> Fingers um, crossed. Yeah. In the meantime, you know, um, Jebby went to school to be an artist. There are a number of times in this uh, book where Jebby has lamented getting that arts education, but education is valuable, and whether or not Jebby went to an art school or a different school, it would have been good to know more about the school that they chose to go to. And you can learn more 
at least in Edmonton, about the schools that you can send your kids to or you can go to yourself by attending a virtual open house, and the Edmonton Public School Board is hosting those. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to an Edmonton Public Schools virtual open house. Ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs, and find the one that feels right. All from the comfort of home. Find virtual event dates and learn how to make the most out of your online visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. EPSB Virtual Open Houses. Check those out. Another patented Scott segue. Very smooth. It's almost like I've done this before. Almost. A little over 200 times. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you uh, you can check out uh, more about the EPSB virtual open houses by following links at the Alberta Podcast Network webpage. That's albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can check out our other sponsors, our other podcasts. Mm. If you find another podcast you're interested in checking out, you can find it on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. Maybe stop by and give us a little rating and review. That would that would help us out a little. Yeah, it really would. We, we would appreciate it. It'd be nice. We could share that appreciation via social media. Absolutely. <laughs> we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the Read Along on most of those. Pretty easy to find. Yeah, you can also reach out to us via email. Yes. Please send fan mail to thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Fingers crossed. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.